Welcome to Thrive Lathrop Podcast. Here at our church, we believe that everyone can thrive. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and enjoy this life-changing message. Thrive! 10.30. Wow, come on now. Great stuff. It's good to be with you all this morning. Excited for what God's doing in the room. Um, First service was off the hook. Powerful stuff. And um, I don't know about you, but are you excited to be in church today? Anybody? Good. Good. I know all the Niner fans are. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's like, why, do, why, why you got to do that, Pastor Chris? Why you got to start drama? Like, why are you starting things? I'm just, I'm just trying to celebrate. I'm just being honest. Like, I get it. I'm not even a Niner fan, but I get it. Okay. It's cool. Hey, do me a favor. Before we continue, can we just welcome everyone watching online this morning? Welcome everyone on YouTube, on Facebook. Thank you for joining us today. We are bummed that you're not in the room, but however, we're excited that you're watching and just grateful to have you. And so if you're in the room right now or you're watching online, go ahead and share the service right now. Go ahead and go on Facebook. Uh, you could go ahead and jump right on there or you could share it on YouTube, like the YouTube video. Um, just share it because you never know, family. And listen, I believe the message today really is for everyone. Um, it's, it's, it, it could really change someone's life. And so you never know who's chilling on a Sunday morning hanging out on their phone scrolling and they stop by your post and they're like, oh, you go to church? Oh, you, you love Jesus? Oh, that, 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 that Mexican guy, he was talking about some good stuff, you know, like whatever. Like you never know. You never know what God can do with one invite. I'm telling you, someone invited you and that's why you're here. And so we got to continue that culture. Does that make sense? Yeah. Great stuff. So go ahead and share it right now on Facebook. Make sure you invite some friends, share the service. Great stuff. And man, I'm excited. We're going to be continuing our Welcome Home series. Um, At the end of service, y'all be getting our theme wristbands for the year. Uh, They finally came in. Thank you, Jesus. The supply chain thing has been crazy. Come on, how many know that's real? Right? And so they finally came in. And so make sure you grab them at the end of service. And I am just excited to teach and, and, and share on this passage. It's one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. Um, I rambled a lot for service, so I'm going to try to not do that this service and lock in, but there's so much that I have to say in this passage, and I really believe um, this verse, what we're going to talk about today, is really going to launch us and really begin to be embodied in the DNA and the culture and the life of our house. And so do me a favor, stand on your feet. Let's jump right into it. Come on, Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15, and we're going to go through verse 11 through 24. So we're going to read some Bible today. Y'all are good for the rest of your Bible reading plan. You did it today. You got it. All right. All right. So we're going to read, we're going to read some Bible today and just so excited to talk about this because I do believe that um, this word is for man, just today's culture and uh, what, what our church needs and what this house carries. And so I'm just grateful to be able to share. It says this in Luke chapter 15, uh, if you're, uh, if you have your Bible, the, the topic or the start of the chapter or the start of that part of the chapter is um, the parable of the prodigal son. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to read through it um, and we're going to just go right in. Verse 11. And he said, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Verse 14. 
And he had spent everything. And a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, come on now, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Verse 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand. Come on now. And put shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and killed it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this day my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this word. Help me to share what you want to say. Let me get out of the way. And God, let this word really stir up light up, penetrate something in our hearts and our minds as we try to continue to follow you. Thank you for what you're doing in this place. We love you. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Good stuff. So go ahead and have a seat. Oh, I love this. I love this part of the Bible, man. I love this chapter. I think anyone in this room who has experienced the love of God, who knows God in a real way, who's done some things that they weren't supposed to and has came into the goodness and the kindness and the mercy of God can't help but light up when they read this passage. And I love this passage because this passage, more than it is about the son, it's more about the father. It's more about the father. It's more about the character and nature of God. It's more about who he is. And, and I think that sometimes we fall in the trap of we, we make the Bible all about us when really the Bible is all about God. There's some things about us, and it's good to help us, but the, one of the main goals, if not the primary goal of the scripture, is to know God in a real, it's to know the author. And this passage, right, Luke 15, when, when it is the most iconic scriptures, one of the most iconic parables, because you find Jesus talking about his father. You find Jesus sharing to people who his father really is. And I think, like I said earlier, in a day and age where things are so broken and lost and chaos and in turmoil, I believe now more than ever that God's heart is for prodigals to come home. And so if you're taking notes today, I I want you to just entitle this, A Home for Lost Prodigals. And that's what I believe that God is calling this place to be at our church. I want you to know that if you're here for the first time, super glad you're with us. I'm very excited that you're here. Um, However... I don't know if you're going to make this your home or not, which is cool. I hope you do. If you don't, that's okay too. We still love you. But for those that have said, yes, this is my home. This is my church. I love Thrive. I love this house. I love the people of this house. I want you to know that one of the main focuses that we are going to do in this house is we are going to be a place that is a home for prodigals. 
I want you to know that. We're going to talk about prodigals. We're going to pray for prodigals. We're going to reach prodigals. We're going to love on prodigals. We're going to go after prodigals. We're going to do it again and again and again and again. Why? Because that's what the Father wants. I believe this is the cultural DNA, the mandate, the mission of our house is to be a church that is home for lost prodigals. It is the thing that I get up in the morning early, and I rarely do that. I'm just going to be honest. And I stay up late for it. I do that all the time. The thing that burns in my heart more than anything is to be a church that is centered around the presence of God, that is focused on reaching the lost and the broken and prodigals. Here's the interesting dynamic, though. I believe that our church has a distinct calling specifically for the prodigal. For the prodigal. And I'm going to break that down in just a minute. But I want to just make this statement because I believe that this series is really going to just launch us into the year. I believe this is what God's doing in the month of January. He's kind of just setting the table. He, he's, he's kind of setting the platform. Up. He's setting the stage to what I believe God is going to do this year in this house. Like I said last week, our church is going to pray like never before. Our church is going to be a church that is centered around the presence of God like never before. So this week... I want to say that our church is going to reach more prodigals, and we're going to see more prodigals come home to this house than ever before. I want to declare that. I want to make that a statement, not just to our people, to our church family, but also to all hell itself, that you've been put on notice, that we're not going to be okay with being on the defensive, but we're going to continue to go after the people that the enemy thought he can steal, and we're going to believe that God's going to win them right back. We're going to be a church that reaches the lost and the broken. We're going to be a church that's not going to die out. Because we're going to believe that life happens here and resurrection happens here. And that God revitalizes and revives hearts and minds and souls. And that prodigals who are far off from God can come back home. Our church will be an evangelistic church focused on the mission of Jesus. I want you to know everything we do, that's the focus. And so when we decide to do things, that's why. Because we're going to be an evangelistic church. We're going to be a church that focuses on evangelism. We're going to be a church that focuses on soul winning. We're going to be a church that focuses on reaching the city, loving the city, loving our neighbor. We're going to be a church that does that because we are going to be focused and bought in and invested on the mission of Jesus on the earth. Jesus has a mission. Go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's what Matthew says. Jesus also says, go into all the world and preach the good news. That is what we're called to. We don't make up a new mission. We partner with God's mission on the earth. And so everything we do, that's why we're going to do it. Because we're going to partner with the mission of Jesus. So that means there's things that we're not going to do. And the reason why we're not going to do them is because they aren't lining up with the mission of Jesus that we feel that God has called our house to do. Because you can't be great at everything. Let's be honest. We have to make sure we are doing what we're graced for, not just what people want. There's a huge difference with that. And here in particular, here's what I love about this house. And it's something that we've been kind of unfolding and unpacking the last few years as a team and as a staff. Is that our house is a peculiar calling to reach prodigals to reach individuals who knew the father have ran away from the father but need to come back home to the father i believe this is a mission field 
Doesn't matter what age they are. Doesn't matter what demographic they are. But, but it is a little bit unique. And so I'm going to define prodigal in a minute. But I believe that this is really the DNA of our house is to reach people who are prodigals. And, and this is why. And I, I think for me, this is why for, for two reasons. One, um, I know for myself, I have prodigals in my own family. And I pray for them. I believe that they would come home. I got a few in my family. And if we would be honest, everyone in this room who would say, yeah, I'm trying to follow Jesus, you got a prodigal in your family, right? So this topic really hits home in a different way, right? It's not just a cool Christianese thing to talk about. No, when push comes to shove, I think the thing that burns in our hearts, not every day, but at times, is that will I make it to heaven and will my family be with me? Right? Like, like that's real. That's, that's real stuff. Right? Will my kids know the Lord? Will my family, will my brothers, will my parents know the Lord? Whatever, whatever the, the prodigal relationship you have with that individual, it doesn't matter. That push comes to shove is real. And that reality affects us. It really does. And I would believe my whole heart that God would position us in this hour to be a place that would be a home for prodigals to come back to. Because not only do I believe that it moves our heart, but it also moves the heart of God. You read this in the book of Luke, where God's heart is completely moved and stirred when his, when his son comes back home. I believe this is what God does. This is what God wants to do. So I believe God has a big mission on the earth. God wants to reach lost people. And I'm all, I'm, I'm, we're going to reach lost people. We're going to reach people that don't know Jesus. When I got saved, I didn't even know where Genesis was. Some of you in the room, you have no idea of the Bible. You have no idea about Jesus. You have no idea of Christianity. I want you to know we love you, and I'm so glad you're here, and no one's judging you right now. And, and it's just awesome. I'm just super excited you're in the seat. I also want you to know, though, that we're also going to pray, believe, contend, Go after the individual who maybe grew up in Sunday school, who experienced church hurt, who went through some things. Maybe there was trauma. Maybe there was things in their life. And all of a sudden, they, they, they severed themselves from God, right? They, they disconnected themselves from God. Those are the people I want to go after. Because I believe that's the biggest mission field in Northern California. People who have a form of a religion, but they do not have real relationship. That's who I believe God wants to go after. And I believe that's the individuals that God wants to position us to get ready to welcome in this place. Because that's how God functions and that's how God moves. He moves through his people in a lot of ways. Not all the time, but most of the time he moves through his people. And so us as a people, how do we become like the father in the prodigal son story? That's the assignment. That's what I want to talk about today. It's funny, as I was preparing for this message I was writing notes yesterday, and I was getting ready. I, I realized I wasn't even writing a message. I, I wrote like an entire series on the book of Luke, 15, on chapter 15 of Luke. Don't worry. I'm only going to do one message, okay? Like, you're good. There's so much. And so I'm only going to focus on a small part today. But I want to start off with this. Before I get into that, let's define prodigal. Because I think we talk about it a lot, and I realize we talk about it a lot, or maybe you've heard it. and It's a very kind of Christian word, right? Let's be honest. Um, but, but what does it mean? What does it mean? So let's go through the definition. So 
There's a couple definitions in Greek that it kind of really describes and talks through, and they all kind of essentially mean the same thing. Uh, but but the, the main one, especially the one that's used in the book of Luke 15, um, in Luke chapter 15, is this idea of wastefulness, indulgence, and to give oneself to pleasure. That's what it means. Okay, so second, it means debauchery, unsaveness, someone who's not saved, someone who's just living wild, and then thirdly, loose living, riotous, reckless. That's what that word means. And so, so here, here's the deal. I wanted to give us the definition, one, because we should kind of know where people are at in our life, let's be honest, okay? It's okay to kind of know, okay, is that where they land? Is that where they not land? And, and not necessarily that it's our job to judge, but, you know, people's lives, you could kind of tell, right? But here's the second thing. That doesn't change our demeanor or our attitude to loving them back to the Father, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, like, don't read this and then start looking around the room trying to find someone. You know what I'm saying? Don't do that. Don't, like, start looking at your cousin, you, Brian, and say, like, that's you. Because <laughs> that's what we do, right? Don't do that. The first definition, I think, is the best definition of it. And number three, right? This idea of loose living, of wasteful living, what? What the Bible is describing is an individual who has decided to waste his or her life on the things that please themselves. Man, that is so true today. We live in a culture where it is all about us. We have fallen into the lie. We have fell in love with the idol of self-indulgence. We have. And you read this in, in, in Luke chapter 15 where... The Bible says that the prodigal son, the, the youngest son, goes to the father and, and he says, Father, give me my inheritance. See, it's all centered around me, self-entitlement, self-pleasure, self-indulgence. It's what Paul says, where we talked about it in Philippians last year, where their God is their belly, they glory in their shame, and they're enemies of the cross. That's how Paul describes it. New Testament, that's not even in the Old Testament, that's in the New Testament. And what it is, it's a lifestyle. It's, a, it's an individual deciding that they want to live their life for themselves. Because what matters is how they feel, how they act, how, what they want, what would make them be the best them, right? It's all about them. It's self-centeredness. And because of this radical self-centeredness, they ended up wasting everything and now things are a mess. We find that in the story of the prodigal son, and that's so very real today. And can I tell you that that is, that, that, that is the exact definition of prodigalness because that is the very opposite of what a disciple is called to do. It just is. And so I gave the definition because I wanted to ask you a question. Do you fall under the category of this definition? Because how many of you know prodigalness is not completely married to church attendance you can be lost in the house let's be honest now don't be wrong i'm not saying church attendance isn't necessary like it's probably good you show up to church and have people in your life and hear the word and worship with the body it's not only good you're kind of called to it in a lot of ways but that's another sermon for another time but here's the deal you could be here every week in the seat, your butt in the chair, clock in, clock out, and you live for God on Sunday, but you live for the devil Monday through Saturday. Good. 
where God is not your main God. Your main God is your own stomach. You do whatever you want all throughout the week and you come say sorry on Sunday thinking that you feel better about yourself. So even then you come to church not to encounter Jesus and for God to transform you. You come to church for yourself to feel better because your God is you and then you go live in your life again and again and again. I know it's intense, but hey, it is what it is, right? That's prodigalness, okay? And I would believe two things. One, if you fall under any of these categories, right? If I'm defining this and you're like, oh my gosh, that's my life. <laughs> One, that you would understand that the Holy Spirit, he's gonna get you, whether you like it or not. And I think there's, it's good that you're even here, but he's gonna get you in a deeper way. And then two, we still love you. Keep coming. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> Rather you hear than not hear. Yeah. Rather you hear than not hear. But the reality is, is before we can talk about prodigals coming home, it's good that we define a prodigal in this definition. And why that's important is it's a little bit different than the idea of being lost. The idea of being lost is someone who doesn't know anything about Jesus. I'm talking about the person who grew up in Sunday school. I'm going to talk about the person who grew up in the father's house, like how this son grew up in the father's house, but, but decided to sever their relationship with the father. Look what it says in Luke 15. It says that the son went up to the father. I think I was getting on this earlier and then I kind of jumped and now I came back. See, see what I did there? It worked. I remembered. Okay. <laughs> It's been one of those mornings. Pray for me. Okay. He goes up to the father. He says, Father, give me my inheritance. Right? Entitlement. Give me the thing that I didn't earn, but I deserve. Sounds like a lot of millennials and Gen Zers, I'm going to be honest. Give me, give, right? G give me the thing that I don't deserve, but you are going to give me. And what you have to understand in that context, even today, you don't get your inheritance until what? Your dad dies. So what is the son saying to the father? He's saying, Father, you're dead to me. Just give me what you owe me. And we have people in this day and age that that's how they have treated God. And it's wrong, of course. And maybe they have a good excuse. Maybe, like, we don't know why. We don't know what happened with the son. We just know he did that. And all that matters is that's what happened. And so he goes and he goes to the city and he squanders his living. That's what the Bible says. He recklessly just parties, right? I just imagine the way I think of it is he just went to Vegas. <laughs> Anybody else, like, when you read this story or you hear this, you're like, it sounds like he's in Vegas. <laughs> Some of you are like, that's what happened to me when I was in Vegas. <laughs> so glad Jesus changed you. And if it was this weekend, we'll pray. Like, it's cool. Like... <laughs> Party's hard. Later in the, Bible, in the chapter, the big brother says he wasted his monies on sinners and prostitutes and all the craziness. And imagine wasting the inheritance of something you have not earned, something that was given to you freely. That's the sign of a prodigal, is that you've been re you have received the grace of God, but you have wasted the grace of God because you've decided to make the God of your life the God of your heart, the God of your stomach, the main God of your life. The beautiful thing about the gospel is, 
is it doesn't matter how far you've gone, God's always waiting for you to come back home. Yeah. It's the difference between us and every other religion is that God loves you even in your brokenness. Even when you messed up. Even when it was your fault. See, see the thing about the story of the son is it was his fault. It was all him. And if we would be honest with ourselves, a lot of your drama is your fault, fam. You do it to yourself. And God in his kindness and his goodness and his mercy is waiting for you to come back home. I want to highlight a couple other things before I go into some of the points. Really just one major thing, which I think is going to help some people. Notice, though, that the father doesn't go chase after the son. Because if the father went after the son and just gave him more money and fixed his problem, it would enable him to continue to live the life he's living. And so sometimes God will allow us to go through a famine so we can come back into our right state of mind and come back home. Sometimes the, fam the famine is God's will. Sometimes it's okay to go through things, even though we don't want to. But sometimes God's like, I'm going to let you go through some things. I'm not the one who caused it, but I'm going to let you walk through some fire because you'll remember what it's like when you were back home with me. And we don't understand that, and it's not in our human nature, but it makes sense. Why? Because the kingdom's the kingdom of empowerment and not enablement. Enablement is, I'm just going to help fix the problem and make you feel better, but what I'm doing is actually giving you more tools to continue the destruction, destructive pattern, the destruction lifestyle, the destructive thing you're doing in your life. That's enablement. God doesn't enable, God empowers. God empowers us to quit the thing that's destructive and to continue to follow Jesus to do what God has called us to do, okay? And so notice, yes, God pursues us. He absolutely pursues us. It's all throughout the Bible. But however, there does come a season where God will let you go wild because he wants to see if you'll pursue him back. He wants to know if this relationship was because you just wanted things from him, like what the son did when he asked for the inheritance, or if you just want him. Right? And so therefore, God will not always chase after the prodigal. Because he is looking for the prodigal's heart to change, to come back to him. And I say that because some of you have been praying for someone in your life. And you're wondering why God hasn't done it. And I want to tell you that God's not, God hasn't given up. God's not just sitting idly by. No, he's working things and he's moving things. But what he's not going to do is force his will on that prodigal and just make it like he's a robot or she's a robot and they have to love Jesus because forced love is not real love. Yeah. You ever had to love someone? <laughs> Come on, y'all. We just had Christmas. It doesn't feel good. Like, I think everyone's done this, where someone shows up, and they bought you a Christmas present, and you didn't buy them anything. It's the worst, right, Steph? The worst. Now you're like, I got, I'd given up on that a long time ago. I just say thank you now. Maybe because I'm selfish, so pray for me. But, like, you feel, right? But then that doesn't feel good either that you feel you have to buy them something now. 
That's the worst. God's not interested in our forced love. He can care less about our half-heartedness. God wants our wholeheartedness. That's why he'll let the that's why he'll let the prodigal eat pig slop. He'll wait until the moment hits and the prodigal's like, I need to go back home to the father. Because now it's the prodigal's decision to come back home. And I think that's so important to understand because I believe then now it's our response. It's not our responsibility to bring the prodigal home, but it is our responsibility to create an atmosphere where the prodigal feels like they can come back. Come on now. Yes. Come on. That's, that's, it's not the church's job to make the prodigal come back home. It's not the church's job to save someone. You can't do it. I can't do it. You can't die on that cross. Only Jesus could. But what we can do is create an atmosphere and a place like the father did that would allow the prodigal to think, I need to come back. I need to come back. And so here are five things that I believe the father did that would create in us also, I think we just need to do what the father did. So I want to walk through these five things. Number one, the father sees the son purposely. The father sees the son purposely. The Bible says, as the son started walking home, he comes into his right state of mind, and he says, I'm going to come home. The Bible says that the father sees his son, and he is moved with compassion. I want you to know, family, that we need to see people not for what they've been through, but for who they are. Because in that moment, just, just the, the, the eye of the father locks onto his son, and then he is so moved in his heart. I want you to know, you want to talk about moving the heart of God. If I, I want to talk about, we want God's blessing and favor and great. I, I, I just think those, like the good things, right? The all good things in the Bible. Be a place where prodigals can come home, man. Be a person that would love on the broken and the hurting and the lost. Be a person that would see people for who they are, not what they've been through. Right? And, and, and look, look, we'll tell people the truth. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like, y'all show up here every Sunday for the most part, and I, I come in hot a lot of times. Let's just, right? So we're not scared of that. But God forbid we don't see people the way God saw us when we were broken. God forbid we let the spirit of religion come in and we start judging people for what they've been through when God sees them as a son or daughter coming home. Does that make sense? Yes. We need to see with God's eyes. And it should move us. And, and I think that's really important. Like looking at people, like looking, looking at, like, like engaging with them, like locking in. Like the father locks in with the son, right? He's not just glancing and then he just goes on with his work. Like he locks in. As if it was like the best thing he ever saw. He saw his son come home. What do we see? How do we see people? If we're believing that they're going to come, they're going to come. And so we got we to gotta see them the way God sees them. We got to see them the way God sees them. Number two, probably one of my favorite parts of the whole story. The father runs to the son zealously. So in the Bible times, um, what you have to understand, I think when we read this and we think, oh, yeah, like the dad ran, of course, like dads run to their kids. But actually, that really wasn't the case in this Testament, in this Old Testament, New Testament time, like 2000 years ago. Men, I don't know if you've ever seen like movies um, like or the Chosen series or Passion of the Christ or Gladiator or whatever uh, old movies. Men would wear these really long robes. They're kind of like dresses. Anybody? 
Okay, like four people know what I'm talking about. Okay, that's cool. Don't worry about it. I'll explain it. Um, <laughs> they would wear these long robes, and so they couldn't run. And so there was a term in the Bible that maybe you've read or maybe you've heard of. I know when I heard it when I was younger, it sounded funny, and I didn't know what it meant for a long time. It's called girding up your loins. You ever heard that? No, that's okay. I didn't either for a long time. So it's called girding up your loins. And what it was, it's a term in the Old Testament where what they would do is a man would grab his, not dress, can't say that, it's 2023, so can't say that. Um, just wild times, just being honest. Um, his robe, his robe, there we go, there we go, there we go. But it's kind of like a dress, let's just be real. He would grab his dress, robe, whatever, long clothing, and he would grab it, and he would tie it around his waist, and that was called girding up your loins. And God would often call the people of Israel, the men of Israel, to gird up their loins because they had to get ready to run in battle. And so girding up your loins, men running, was associated with war and fighting. So now fast forward. The sun comes to the house. There's probably a long road, right? Because normally there was like a house and there's like fields in front of the house and a lot of people were farmers and stuff. And there's like a long road and the son's there and he sees his dad. He's probably working. He's waiting for him. The Bible says that the, the, the father's waiting for him. He sees him, right? And then out of nowhere, his dad just starts, he girds up his loins and he takes off. And I, I, I want you to understand this. The father, he's probably all, Happy, like this. But if you saw me smile from like 50 feet away, you don't know if I'm smiling and I'm angry. And you don't know, and now I'm seeing my dad run to me with a big old smile, but it don't look like a smile. And I don't know, maybe he had a sickle in his hand from working in the field. I don't know. And you know that when men run, they're going to war. This son's like, I'm gonna die. My dad's gonna kill me. Anybody ever had that? My dad's gonna kill me. I'm going to die. And I love this because the son makes a decision. He says, I'd rather die in the presence of my father than go back to the place I was living. What he doesn't know is that when the father sees his son, it's almost as if it's an act of war. That he is going to run after him because he's now home. It, it lights him up like if he was going to go into a fight or a battle. And I want, to, I want you to understand why this is important. Do we run after prodigals in the same way? Do we chase after prodigals? Do, do we have a zeal about us, a passion about us, an excitement about us to go after prodigals? And then when prodigals come home, are we excited to see them come home? I think this is so key and important. Not only that, I love this, that the father chases after the son. Yes, the son had to come home, but once he got in sight, man, whew, it was over. The father needed the son to know that I've never stopped running after you. I've never stopped waiting for you. I've never stopped pursuing you. I've always been waiting here, and I'm going to run after. I'll run after you any day because you're worth it, because you're absolutely worth it. Number three is the father embraces the son unconditionally. The Bible says he wraps him up. Come on. He grabs him and he hugs him and he kisses him. 
Like this was, like Jesus, did, the father did not go up to the son and give him like the Christian side hug. You know what I'm talking about? You all know. If you're single, you definitely know. I saw you be hugging in church. I'm just being honest. He runs after him. This guy's been on a journey for the past, what, probably week, covered in pig slop, skinny, broken, dirty, messy. And the father's like, I don't care. Come here. Because God is not scared of our messiness and brokenness. It's what Paul says, that while we were still sinners, Christ still died for us. He knew what he was getting into. He's not scared of your mess, family. He's not scared of how you smell. He's not scared of how you look. He's not scared of how your hair is. He's not scared of the dirt on you. Even if you are the one who put the dirt on yourself. Why? Because th if there is anything that defines, in my opinion, the, the perfect picture of what Christianity is, it's this. It's not us loving God. It's God loving us. It's the Father loving the Son unconditionally. I think that's the moment where he becomes a son again. When I read this, I just in my, it's not when... All the other things happen later in the party and he comes. I think that's the moment where he was home. Father. He's probably thinking my dad wants nothing to do with me, right? Because he had the mentality that I'm just going to go back as a slave. See, that's how you know it's true repentance. He wasn't trying to come back to the status he was. He was just happy to be in the father's house. You can tell the entitlement and everything changed. He wasn't looking for status or money or elitism. He was just looking to be in his father's house again. But the father, because he's good, embraces him not as a slave or a servant, but as a son. His sonship is not dependent on his sin. His sonship is dependent on his father's love for him. What you need to understand today is that your identity is not dependent on who, what you do. It's dependent on who he says you are. You are able to now, you're able to function as someone who loves Jesus and as a son. From the place of sonship, you're not earning it. He's already given it to you. When you come into relationship with Jesus, he embraces you. And family, I believe that God, a pastor friend of mine in D.C. said this, and I thought this was so good. God's restoring and redeeming the embrace and touch again in this culture. So many people who have been physically, maybe even sexually assaulted, it's like no one can touch you because of the PTSD in your life, the trauma in your life. And I want you to know that I understand, we understand that. But I believe that the way my pastor friend described it in D.C., his name's Chris Petrot, he said, God's bringing the holy hug back. And it's going to break chains. Sometimes we don't need to shout down, we don't need to cast out demons. We just need to give them a hug. I'm just being honest. There's some demons for real, but sometimes 
Someone just needs to know that God loves them. An unconditional embrace. Not, not the one-two pat. I'm talking hug. Like it's okay to cry. It's okay to weep. It's okay to let it go. You're loved here. God loves you. And the same way the father would embrace his son is the same way that us as a church, I think even physically and metaphorically, have to embrace prodigals when they come home. Do they feel loved when they come to this place? That's our mandate. Number four, the father restores the son's identity. Ooh, this is good. He says, hey, get him the dopest robe, a fat ring, and some Jordans. <laughs> Come on now. Put a robe on him. Put a robe on him. I imagine the servant's like, why are we going to put a robe on him? He wanted to be your servant. Father's like, no, he's going to be back to the place that I put him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to redeem and restore everything that he lost in a moment. In a moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, right? The robe, identity, right? The robe represents covering, represents identity, it represents belonging. He's dressed now like a son of the house and not a slave that ate pig slop. The ring representing authority. He has his authority back in some ways. And yeah, he's going to have to make sure, you know, things are legit and he's going to have to spend some time in the father's house and kind of showing that he is a son, but, but he's, he has his status back. I'm gonna, I put a ring on you. You're not lost no more. You're not, you're not an orphan no more. And then I'm going to put some shoes on you. I'm going to put some sandals on you. I'm going to restore your honor. I'm going to restore the thing that you lost yourself. And here's the beautiful thing about it. The guy didn't deserve any of it. And this is the gospel. That you didn't deserve a calling. You didn't deserve blessing. You didn't deserve identity. You didn't deserve favor. You didn't deserve grace. You didn't deserve mercy. But God gave it to you when you didn't deserve it. I don't want to tell you that if you're in this place and you're feeling like, man, I'm just lost and my identity's lost and, and that I've lost things because of the way I've lived, I can tell you today that God can restore all things that you've lost. Yeah. And it might not be the way you think, but he will restore you will restore and lastly the father celebrates the son unashamedly he throws a fat party he says go kill the cow we're eating asada we're going hard tonight I think that's the beautiful that's the pick that's that's what church should be I just my opinion have you ever been to a church and everyone's sad it's the worst you ever hang out with a Christian and they're always sad? It's the worst. It's like, I don't want your Jesus. You're always sad. Like sadness from inside out. That's a dad joke. You're always sad. All the dads understood that. You're miserable. Nobody wants, no, nobody wants that. I love it. The father says, go kill the biggest calf. He, 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 he went all out. He went all out. He went so all out, the big brother got mad. That's another message for another time. A whatever message for another time. But because this is the why. 
Come on, this is the why. He, he gives the why before anybody asks him, right? Because he knew they were going to... You, you know when like you do something and you know you're going to catch the smoke? You know what I'm saying? I don't know about you, but I know that. I know when like there's times I'm going to do something, I'm like, I'm, I know I'm going to catch the smoke. So you kind of beat people to it before they start giving you a hard time? He says, kill the fattened calf, the biggest calf, kill it, let us eat. We're going to throw a party. My son's home. This is why. For my son was dead and now he's alive again. That's how he described him. See, this is what we do in our sin. And I'm going to close with this. We try to kill God so we can do what we want in our sin. But what happens is we end up killing ourselves because the wages of sin is death. And we end up killing the life that's in our heart. And the only one that can revive that again is the Father. That's why the Father says he was dead, guys. And they're like, he's just home. No, 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 you don't understand. He was gone. He was dead. We weren't close. There was no relationship. It was severed. I didn't even know if he was alive. And now he's here. He, is, he was lost and now he's found. And that's why we're going to celebrate. And family, I would believe that this place would be a place and our people would be a people that would celebrate when prodigals come home, that would shout it down and scream and yell and party and go out. I pray that this would be the thing that gets us excited more than the Raiders winning or the Niners winning or your favorite sports team. I pray that this would be the thing that would light your heart up more than anything else. If you're going to be part of this place, this is going to be the thing we're going to celebrate is when prodigals come back home because they were lost and now they're found. They were dead and now they're alive. I don't know their story, but you do. And you would know the miracle that it is that they're here. The miracle that it is that they show up on a Sunday or a small group or a prayer meeting or a conference or an outreach, that it's a miracle. And watch what God can do in their life. And what does that mean? We will spare no expense to celebrate them. We'll go all out. Why? Because that's what the Father does. That's what the Father does. We have to be like the Father. It's His church, not ours, remember. We have to be like the Father. We'll celebrate and we'll cheer. Because that's what He's doing, man. Unashamedly. I love it. I love it. I love it. There's a season. I just... just just a side note, I'm going to close right now. I know, I get three closings, okay? That's my second one. Okay. Um, right, Pastor One? Okay, good. Okay. Yeah. No, no, I just, it, and this church has always been a church that's reached lost people, but I just remember there was a season where, when I was a youth pastor, and it's still today, where we had a lot of broken kids coming. They don't know Jesus, struggling with sexual sin, sexual identity, sexual orientation stuff, all the cultural stuff we all deal with, right? And they were coming, they were, there was a lot of them coming. I'm not gonna lie. Like, it wasn't like one person. It was like, they were all wild and out. Can I tell you, I just, I just loved it. And I remember someone asking me, they're like, why are you doing, they asked me, it was a youth pastor panel, and they asked me, are you doing something specific to get people who are struggling with this type of sin, whether it's like sleeping with another person or struggling with like sexual identity. Are you like doing something? Like, are you doing a series? I was like, no, we're just doing us. 
And they were like, Does it, is it weird? Do you feel awkward? I'm like, no. Because they're coming home. I love it. They're coming home. I love it. I love it when people can be like, when, when, when people come through the door, when they visit, and like, I know they're going through things. Like, you know, there's sometimes you don't know, but there's sometimes you do. I love it. I love it because, man, this is a place where God can get them. It's not my job to get them. It's God's job to get them. And not that I think we want to be attracted to brokenness or have this weird relationship, but no, but, but it excites me because, not because I'm like, yeah, it's going to be awesome so I can share the story when I'm on stage. No, it's because I remember when I was that broken. I remember my sin being the same as their sin. Just because it looked different doesn't mean that God didn't die for it the same. And I remember what God did in me when I came to church on a Sunday. I remember what God did in me when I went to that small group. I remember what God did in me when I went to that conference and that camp. I remember what God did to me when I went to that prayer meeting and how God got me. And I get all excited because I'm like, ooh, they don't know. Isn't it the best when you invite your friends to church and they have no idea? Like they don't know. They have no idea what's about to go down. They have no, and like you can try to explain it, but you can't. Like just even explaining me is difficult. Right? Like, yeah, you're gonna go to church, you're gonna sit in a comfy chair, my pastor, oh how, he's like 30, but he looks like 20 and he's short, but he's really loud and he moves around a lot. He's gonna make you laugh, you might cry, there's gonna be a lot of stuff. You just can't, it's just weird. I love it. I love it. Why? God is moving. I see, and see, that's the point that the father understood that it was God who brought the son home. And so we're going to celebrate what God, we're not just going to celebrate that the son's home, we're going to celebrate what God did. And family, I want to be a church and a house that celebrates what God does. And the thing we're going to celebrate this year, our prodigal is coming home. Stand to your feet with me. Come on. Thank you again for tuning into our podcast. For more info, please visit our website at thrivelathrop.com. Have an amazing rest of your week.